Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the Everything USC podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network, the only place with a show for every team in LA and more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? I'm your host, Nara Wang, and in episode two of the podcast that brings you all of the info you want on USC athletics, we're going to focus on the recruiting efforts by the Trojan football team and the marked difference between the 2020 class and the 2021 commitments. Since the theme of the show is football recruiting, I'm extremely excited to have as my guest a national recruiting analyst for 24-7 sports and a commentator on high school football for Fox Sports West and Prime Ticket, Greg Biggins. Greg, thanks for joining me today to talk about USC's football recruiting. Hey, good to be on with you. I appreciate you having me. It's great to have you, Greg. And of course, if you enjoy listening to the Everything USC podcast, please subscribe and rate the show wherever you find your favorite podcasts, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, or TuneIn. You can also go to the website Believe.com. That's B-L-E-A-V.com on social media at Believe Podcasts. For me, find and follow me on Twitter at Nara Wang Sports. That's N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Greg, why don't you let everyone know where they can catch up with you on social media? Yeah, I mean, just at Greg Biggins is the Twitter handle. I try to keep it as short and sweet and simple as possible. So at Greg Biggins is probably the best place. Considering the impact of the COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic on the sports world, I feel like I'm going to be starting most of my shows for the immediate future, discussing it with all of the guests that I have. So Greg, before we get to the effects of it on USC's recruiting efforts, how has the coronavirus pandemic affected you personally? Obviously, the big thing is no events to go to. Spring evaluations are big, not just for obviously kids and high school programs, college coaches, whatnot, but for us in terms of having that ability to evaluate, whether it be at a track meet, whether it be going to a seven on seven, an opening regional camp, just any type of in-person eval, even be able to eyeball a kid to get an accurate height weight, all that's kind of been shoved to the side. So the biggest adjustment has been trying to evaluate as a company, 24-7 sports. We're still doing our recruiting calls every week, trying to update rankings. And you're basing it strictly on a ton of game tape, which is always good. But not having that in-person eval has been the biggest thing. Still busy as ever. In fact, busier because recruiting has kind of not slowed down. It's actually picked up. There's been some stats that have shown, not exaggeration, there's double the commitments at this time right now as it was last year. I think the obvious reasoning behind that is kids are kind of a little panicking right now. They don't want to get left behind and they're worried that without trips, they might not have a spot waiting for them later on in the year. So a lot of guys are committing early without even seeing a campus. And so I've kind of said, I think there's going to be a record for decommitments this year because of all these early commitments to schools that they haven't visited. So that's been the biggest adjustment. But as far as the job, it's still as crazy as ever. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be weird when you don't get to go out and these players and coaches aren't able to make trips to see each other. I mean, have you found anything from talking to coaches and players about how they feel it's impacted, how the recruiting process has been on both sides? Yeah, no, I mean, from a player standpoint, there was some talk that this might help local schools when players can't go visit out-of-state schools, maybe they'll kind of circle back to the local program and it'll, it'll help them. But not sure I'm really seeing that. Obviously, speaking about USC, they're having a great class, but I think that has more to do with just the new staff and how well they're recruiting, how hard they're recruiting kids, more so than players wanting to stay home just to stay home because they're afraid to leave home, if you know what I'm saying. So 
I think that the biggest adjustment has probably been for the colleges more so than players. They rely a ton on spring evals. You know, you always say the biggest adjustment that players make is usually between their sophomore and junior year or their junior and senior year, but it's that off season that you get to see those changes. And obviously, yeah, for the players, the biggest adjustment has been no trips because that's the time they take a lot of their unofficial and even official trips. And without those, I think it's kind of setting some players back a little bit. Definitely there's a time when players who are kind of sleepers would get noticed and discovered. So those guys are kind of still under the radar a little bit. And that's kind of what we miss is being able to kind of uncover those little hidden gems. So yeah, I think it's affecting everybody in the circuit right now, us college coaches, and obviously the players as well. Do you feel that this is helping certain schools over others? The fact that guys can't come to visit, maybe they're relying more on reputation instead. Is that something you found? Like I said, I think the thought was it would help, for example, SCUCLA for SoCal kids. They can't go and visit some of these other big schools out of state. You know, obviously we've seen the last few years, a lot of players from out here have been going to Texas, Ohio State, Oklahoma. They have been going all over the country, Clemson, Alabama, right? So I think the thought was if they can't take those visits, everyone's going to stay home. But I haven't really seen that, to be honest with you. Like I said, USC is recruiting really well, but I think that's just because of that new staff. And I haven't really seen UCLA pick things up in terms of all of a sudden you thought they might go on a run. Just haven't seen it. Even going outside the Western region, right now Ohio State has the number one recruiting class in the country, but I think 75% of those kids are out-of-state kids. So it's not like they're benefiting by players in their own home who are saying, you know what, I can't travel. I'm just going to go ahead and commit to the hometown school. So I haven't really seen that, to be honest with you. And I guess it remains to be seen if that's something that we'll see later on. Players just wanting to stay home. But as of right now, I haven't seen that really be a huge factor. And in terms of the future of recruiting, do you think anything that people are doing now during this pandemic is going to carry over even when we're through all of this and they might pick up some things to use in the future of recruiting? That's a really good question. Honestly, I don't know how to answer that. I know for us, I think one thing that we've picked up on is, and again, we have our weekly recruiting rankings calls every Wednesday where we have me covering the West Coast and we have other people covering all the different parts of the country and just how much we're into really getting into game film and highlights. This has kind of allowed us to really make that more important, more valuable than we ever have before. I think for colleges, I think the thing that they'll probably pick up on is the benefit of early evals. If in the event of players not been able to be seen, shoot, maybe we ought to start watching these guys even earlier, going back to freshman, sophomore year, not waiting until a player gets into his junior year and then try to evaluate him. Because by then it might be too late, right? So I think the idea is let's get on these guys early just in case. And yeah, there's not going to be another, hopefully, right? Not going to be another time where the pandemic is going to really cut down on in-person evals and trips. But the earlier you can get on a kid, the better. I've always said that, right? The kid always going to remember that first school that offered or that first school that really showed him a lot of attention. So get on kids early, start your evaluation process a year earlier than you normally would. And I think it definitely would benefit you same thing for players. I think they can probably start their process a little bit earlier. Don't wait till that summer, maybe after your junior year. Start taking unofficial visits as soon as you can. Go see some campuses so that you kind of already have an idea of what that school looks like up close. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And how about in terms of the use of technology? Obviously, we're doing this over Zoom and everyone's communicating through various telecommunication processes. Do you think that coaches are going to be able to use those things smarter in the future now that they're basically relying on it? 100%. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's been the biggest thing is, you know, you've seen everyone talking about Zoom. I didn't even know what Zoom really was a year ago, I'll be honest with you. But now it's all about (laughs) Zoom and these virtual tours. 
I think that's kind of a cool way to go. And you know, there's no substitute for getting on a campus and using your eyes and having your mom or dad or your coach or whoever you're kind of your protector, your guardian, being able to walk around a campus. There's no substitute for that. But saying that, I think there's a huge benefit in being able to see these coaches and talk to them via Zoom, doing the virtual tours, being able to get a general idea of what the school looks like, what the weight room looks like, what the facilities look like, what the dorms look like, all of that stuff. I think you're seeing a lot of schools are benefiting. The schools that I think that are more aggressive when it comes to doing the Zoom and the virtual tours, they're the ones that are being a lot more successful right now. So I think they can take that. And once you can kind of add that to the on-campus experience, I think it's definitely going to benefit. That is going to be something to look forward to in the future to see which coaching staffs make the best use of both in-person visits and using the Zoom or virtual visits as well. So again, if you enjoy listening to the Everything USC podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, you can subscribe and rate us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and tune in all of your favorite podcast directories. The website to find us at is Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, and on social media at Believe Podcast. To reach out to me, you can find and follow me on Twitter at Narawang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. My guest today is Greg Biggins. Greg, where can people catch up with you? Just at Greg Biggins. That's the Twitter handle. Yeah, like I said, man, just keeping it simple. While you're waiting out the pandemic at home, you can still enjoy betting with our partner, betonline.ag. No NBA, NHL, or MLB, but don't worry. BetOnline still has hundreds of games, events, and sports to wager on, including the return of NASCAR, Madden and NBA 2K simulations, the UFC, plus poker and blackjack in their online casino. And be sure to check out the final dance. Bet Online's special featuring former Chicago Bulls Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, Craig Hodges, and Ron Harper discussing the ESPN docuseries The Last Dance. There is still fun to be had, so go to betonline.ag and use the promo code MYPOD100 to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's betonline.ag and use the promo code MYPOD100. BetOnline, your online wagering solution. Now, to look at USC football specifically, we'll begin by examining the 2020 incoming recruiting class that was a disappointment to many Trojan fans. Ranked 54th in the country and 10th in the Pac-12, ahead of only Washington State and Arizona by 24-7 Sports' composite rankings, it was the lowest that USC has ever finished in the era of recruiting standings. There were only two four-star recruits, wide receiver Gary Bryant Jr. and offensive lineman Jonah Monheim, and 13 signees overall, 12 of whom signed in the early signing period. Greg, give me your breakdown of this class and what led to such a low ranking. I mean, it was a lot of things. And to be honest with you, I mean, we actually liked a few of their players a little bit more than the rest of the industry. We had Tui Peloto and also Jack Yaria as four stars in our 24-7 sports ranking. But in the composite, yeah, like you mentioned, just the two guys. I think it was probably the third year in a row that there was a lot of Clay Helton hot seat rumors. And that never helps, right? I've always said this. A rumored coaching change is worse than the coaching change itself when it comes to recruiting. Because parents and families, they thrive on stability. They want to know, if my son goes to the school, I know who the staff's going to be. I know who the head coach is going to be. I know who my position coach is going to be for at least the next couple of years. There's a rumored coaching change. It just, you kind of had that fear of, you know, what if he goes there for a year and they make a change? Now I have to get to know a whole new staff. So that was a big part of it. Just people not sure what Clay Helton's 
job status or security was. I think, honestly, a lot of it was just some lazy recruiting. I think they kind of gotten away from really being grinders. And we're seeing that this year, man, USC staff is working really, really hard. But I think there's always been the conception that USC recruits itself. And for a large part, they do. They're able to get on kids early just because of the USC name and the brand is so strong. And I think if you were to ask a lot of the players out there saying, hey, who's recruiting the hardest? You didn't really hear USC's name as much. And talking to some of the guys that left home, a guy like Clark Phillips or an Elias Ricks, they were saying, hey, I really wasn't hearing from USC. They offered, but I always kind of felt like they assumed that because they were the local school and I liked them a lot growing up, that I was just going to go there. Where these out-of-state schools, Clark Phillips, Ohio State, and then obviously he flipped to Utah and LSU for Ricks. They just said those schools just prioritized me a lot more. They showed a lot more attention, like I was more wanted. And also, I think right now, the Pac-12 as a whole is down. And I think a lot of players are seeing players develop, college players, they're seeing them develop a lot more in maybe the SEC. That's a huge stage. You watch the NFL draft and you can't help but notice whose names being called over and over and over again. It's Ohio State, it's LSU, it's Alabama, it's Florida, it's all these schools. And I think as a Pac-12, as a region, you're kind of just seeing the concern of, man, football just isn't as big a deal out here as it is out there where they're getting, you know, 80,000 to a spring game. So like I said, it was a kind of a perfect storm of just not being as aggressive. It was job status for the head coach. It was not recruiting as hard as other schools. And it just resulted in just a really weird class. I've been doing this 25 plus years and USC has only finished outside of the top four in the Pac-10 slash Pac-12 only twice. And in both those two years, they still finished top 20 nationally. And one of those years was Pete Carroll's first year. So it was crazy to see them finish so low. And, and obviously, if they wanted to recruit, they could have finished higher than a lot of the schools they finished behind in the Pac-12. But they went after higher-rate guys, right? Bryce Young and Justin Flo and Elias Ricks. And you miss on those guys. It's kind of hard to circle back on other players. With the early signing period, the way it sets up now is before, if you miss on your first guys, the top guys that you like, you can always go back in December and January and, and go after your plan B. Well, those plan B guys are now signed. There's not a lot of opportunity to go get those plan B guys because that early December signing period. And I think a lot of schools are kind of late to see how different, how radical that December early signing period was going to be. And, and in just two years, we're seeing that almost 75% of the class is being signed in December as opposed to February. So I think a lot of schools have to now realize, shoot, we can no longer just kind of sit back and wait and then try to close on guys. We have to recruit them hard from day one, because that December signing period comes really, really fast. And I think that was a big adjustment for a lot of schools, including USC the last couple of years. Yeah, I think that National Signing Day in February is almost a misnomer now. National Signing Day is really sure. the December signing period now, yep. the early signing period. I mean, you're exactly right. SC only signed one person on National Signing Day, and that was tight end Jack Yeri, who you brought up, son of the USC great Pro Football Hall of Famer offensive lineman Ron Yeri. And Jack had actually decommitted from USC in the fall. He had been committed. He opened his recruitment back up and then circled back around and came back to USC. But yeah, I think you're exactly right that now coaches have to focus on getting guys signed in December. And that's completely changed how things are done. And the other thing, too, I wanted to bring up is that four of the guys in the class, Gary Bryant Jr., Josh Jackson Jr., offensive lineman Kobe Pepe, and kicker Parker Lewis enrolled early so they could participate in spring practice, and USC had one day of spring practice. How do you think that's going to affect those guys? Yeah, I mean, obviously the whole point of graduating early and getting involved in spring ball is because you want to have a chance to play right away, right? I mean, that's the whole point. 
And none of those guys really had a chance to get a full spring practice and get all those practices, get that strength and conditioning, get that weight program, just get acclimated to college life. That wasn't able to happen. So I'm not sure how many of those guys would have been players that you would have said, okay, you know, they have a chance to go in there and start or even compete for a ton of playing time right away. Maybe Yeri, because there is kind of a dearth at the tight end position. And we like Jack a lot. Maybe a Josh Jackson. I think he's pretty good, but receiver depth is never an issue for USC, right? No matter what, USC is always going to have four or five dudes at receiver. But I think just not getting those reps and those practices, that was definitely an issue. And, and even a guy like Brew McCoy, Kyle Ford, right? This would have been a huge spring practice for them. Right. Because they weren't able to participate last year. So I think we could have seen Brew and Kyle make a huge jump. And now because of the whole COVID thing, they weren't able to go out and get those workouts in. So it's not just the incoming, it's the returning freshmen, the redshirt guys, the guys that didn't play a lot. I think they were really hurt by it. Yeah, and I think the biggest thing that led to discontentment is the fact that USC missed out on guys. And yeah, they missed out on the big guys like we had Bryce moving on to Alabama. We had those guys that you brought up who chose other places. But the fact that they missed out on running back Michael Dren in the second out of Ohio who took Kentucky over USC. A guy like quarterback Cade Fennigan, who had been on a two-year Mormon mission and had been recruited to North Texas when Graham Harrell was the OC there. He was a two-star recruit and he chose to stick with Boise State. And I mean, I think that's what was really getting to USC fans is how are they missing on some of these guys? Like I said, I think if you talk to a lot of those guys, they probably would have said two things. One of them was just, like I mentioned, the job insecurity. Just, hey, if I pick USC, how can I be guaranteed that my position coach is going to be there a year from now? And then, like I said, the other thing was, I think other schools just credit them, right? There's kind of that, that old saying, NFL athlete has a bad game. It's kind of, hey, those guys are paid to play too. There's competition out there. There's a lot of other programs that are, they're recruiting their butts off as well. So I think you can credit those other schools, like at Kentucky. They did a great job and recruited like crazy to get them. And so I think the biggest thing is just, we're seeing the radical turnaround this year. This year's staff is recruiting like Pete Carroll's first couple of staffs. They're recruiting with incredible maniacal effort. Top to bottom, I think getting guys like Craig Nabar and Dante Williams and Vic Soto, those guys are grinders. And I think what they're doing is, is they're literally getting the rest of the staff to elevate their game because no one wants to be seen as a, a lazy recruiter. So I, I think not just having Dante is helping, but it's actually helping the rest of the guys recruit with a lot more effort. And so it's now become almost like a competition, which is that's what you want. You know, when Pete Carroll had those first couple of classes, it was literally Lane Kiffin and Rocky Seto, Ed Orgeron, those guys compete against each other. They wanted to be known as the best recruiters on the staff. Kenny Palomalo, Kenny Pola at that time, right? Those guys literally competed against each other. And, and that's what you really love to see. And so I, I see that with this year's staff too. And it's not just one guy. You'll talk to a player and say, who's your lead recruiter? And in the past, it'd be one coach. Now it's like four coaches. So they have multiple coaches and the head coach, Clay Helton, who's always been able to connect well with kids and families. They're having multiple coaches grind on players and do a really good job FaceTiming and doing the Zoom and just really being relentless in how they're recruiting kids. And as someone who did a USC football podcast during the fall that ran a Clay Helton hot seat scale every week, obviously the perception was out there that Clay might be on the hot seat and might be losing his job. And obviously that's going to affect recruiting in all the ways that you mentioned. So with maybe some more stability and the fact that 2021's class is looking great, we're going to get more of that in just a little bit here. But of course, if you enjoy listening to the show, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, 
Luminary, and TuneIn, all of the podcast directories where you can find the show on the website Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media at Believe Podcast. For me, I'm on Twitter at Nara Wang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Find and follow me there with all of your comments or questions about USC sports. And Greg Biggins, my guest today, national recruiting analyst for 24-7 Sports. Where can people reach out to you? Just at Greg Biggins is the Twitter handle. I'm Sam Farber, host of USC Trojans Wrap-Up on the USC Trojans Radio Network. And you're listening to the Everything USC podcast with Nara Wang on the Believe Podcast Network. It's been an incredible turnaround in recruiting for the Trojans, like you mentioned, when you look at the list of commitments for the 2021 class. Currently, the group is ranked fifth nationally by 24-7 Sports' rankings, trailing only Ohio State, Tennessee, Clemson, and North Carolina, and number one in the Pac-12. There are nine four-star recruits and four three-stars, headlined by quarterback Jake Garcia of La Habra High School. Clearly, the revamped USC coaching staff under Clay Helton has been doing a tremendous job, especially locally here in Southern California. Greg, what would you point out as the biggest reason for the reversal of fortune? Yeah, I mean, I think you've kind of touched upon it already. Just the effort from the staff, a lot of new energy. When we heard from players early on, even before all the commitments started to flood in, was just the new energy, like the new vibe was what the players would say. Just you go on campus and it just feels different. Again, you got to credit Clay Helm at the top, who made some really good defensive hires. And the staff just has a ton of passion. And they're being as aggressive as any staff that we've seen in a long time. It's always been Oregon that always kind of seemed to recruit with the most effort. I think Oregon still is. But USC is kind of matching that effort right now. So that's been good to see. And I think getting guys like Jake Garcia in early was big. Jake's always been a USC guy. I think he was going to be going to USC no matter what. But getting guys in early who can kind of help recruit the rest of the class, that definitely kind of got the ball rolling. And then you kind of add all these other factors to it. I think it's made for really a lot of early success so far. Yeah, let's talk a little bit more about Jake Garcia. Obviously, with some breaking news just a little bit before we started recording this show, that JT Daniels is going to Georgia as a transfer there. The quarterback depth for USC might be a little bit lean in the coming years. They brought in grad transfer Mo Hassan from Vanderbilt just as some depth. Matt Fink is still around, but who knows who's going to be behind Keaton Slovis. So Jake Garcia, a big recruit. He had been a five-star guy, dropped just a little bit. Now he's a four-star. What were the reasons for that little bit of a drop in his ranking? Yeah, I mean, it's not really anything that Jake did wrong. I think a lot of people kind of have that misnomer when players drop. It's because they did something. Just other players just kind of jumped over him. We never had him as a five-star. I think we only have like 10 or 12 five-stars right now. And Jake wasn't a five-star for us. So I think he you know, probably had a drop in the composite. But still a really good prospect. Been watching Jake since he was just a freshman. And excited to see him at La Habra this year. You know, he's been at Narbonne the last two years. So it'll be fun to watch him. Great high school program, great high school head coach, and Jake has a lot of ability. Just a natural thrower, real smooth mechanically, live arm. I think he's accurate. He's mobile. He's comfortable throwing. Whether he's in the pocket, rolling out right, rolling out left. He's a really solid, good kid, works hard. He checks off a lot of boxes that you want to see in a young quarterback. So excited to see him develop this year, hopefully, right? That we'll have a season. I think we will. But hopefully, we're excited to see him. At La Habra this year, I think it's going to be a lot of fun to see him and, and see his development. Yeah, I haven't seen as much of him as you have, obviously, but I did see that 
from his sophomore year to his junior year, I thought there was a nice improvement in what he was able to do. Now, he's a guy, he started at Long Beach Poly, then spent the two years at Narbonne. Now he's at La Habra. Why all the movement for Jake? Yeah, so Long Beach Poly, where you start off with, I actually had a chance to see his first ever start in a game. And it was kind of cool. His first ever pass in that game was a deep ball touchdown. So never really asked him, to be honest with you. Not sure if it was just not being as comfortable or just Narbonne was a situation where this sounds crazy because I'm, I'm a longtime high school football follower and you never would have said this 10 years ago because Long Beach Poly at one time was what modern day and Bosco are. Poly was the squad, right? Kind of go back 10, 15 years, but Narbonne is kind of a hot team and not just the top team in the city, but probably a top five team in SoCal. Had so much talent there. So I think Jake saw that as an opportunity to go there and play with a ton of talent, a ton of really great receivers and a really good offensive scheme that kind of fit him maybe a little bit more where Polly was kind of rebuilding, had just brought in a new coach, Antonio Pierce, left Long Beach Polly to go to ASU. So Jake was going to have to get to know a new staff and Narbonne, again, just kind of offered a, a lot. Now, La Harbor is actually his hometown school. So Narbonne, as people probably have seen, a little bit of a mess right now. The old coach, Manny Douglas, had to step down. Kind of that whole staff is now at St. Bernard's. But I think the way the rules set up in CIF is that players aren't able to follow a coach between their high school. So Jake's actually kind of coming home. Like I said, La Habra is the hometown school. And there's not many coaches I respect more than Frank Mazzotta, the head coach at La Habra. So it may not be as much D1 talent as it was at Narbonne at La Habra. But I think Jake's going to still do really well there. Yeah, I think we're looking forward to seeing what Jake can do at La Habra. And again, you mentioned how he jumped on USC early. He's been a USC fan for his whole life. And so how much has he influenced some of these other guys to commit to USC? I think it's definitely helped. Your quarterback is always kind of your headliner. The guy that kind of is supposed to be the lead recruiter. He's the one that's supposed to be getting the little group chats going, and Jake's been very active in doing that. So now saying that, kids aren't going to commit to a school just because of a quarterback, but it's definitely helped. And you kind of add Jake to some of the earlier commitments they have, to the staff, to just looking at USC as maybe a revamped way to kind of turn the program back around to what it was. I think all that has really helped out. But yeah, Jake definitely played a big role in kind of getting that momentum going early on. And you look at the class breakdown you've got so far in terms of the 13 commitments, six on the offensive side of the ball with the quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and three offensive tackles, seven on the defensive side, two D linemen, two linebackers, two athletes, and a safety, although I think both of those athletes are considered to be DBs in the college level, and then nine guys from Southern California, four from out of state. How do you feel that that balance has been for USC? Is that exactly what they're trying to hit on? Yeah, I think so. There's been a lot of talk about even like hashtag, what is it? Bring back the West or take over the West. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I think it's win the West, something like that. Whatever it is. Yeah. I've always said, man, who cares? Yeah, you want to recruit California. I'm saying, dude, get the best players. And right now they have some really good inroads in Texas. And yeah, you want to recruit in your own backyard if those are the best players. But if you see a, a better player in South Dakota, get that kid. So there's a definite effort and a concerted effort to try to win California. But right now I think they're concerned with getting the best players. And so they'll go to Texas. They're going to recruit from all over. You're seeing offers going out all over the country to Virginia, to Florida, Midwest, obviously all over the West Coast. 
Julian Simon from Washington was a big get for them. That was an area that they've kind of lost some one-on-one battles to other schools was getting kids out of Washington and specifically from that loaded FSP training program over there. And so getting Julian Simon away from Oregon and Washington was huge. And so, yeah, there's a nice balance. You want to keep your home state kids in your home state if you can, and then go out nationally and get a couple of difference makers as well. Let's talk about those two guys from Texas, Kadarius Davis, the wide receiver out of Dallas, and the running back Brandon Campbell from Katy, just outside of Houston. How about getting those two guys, two skill position guys, to leave the state of Texas? It's big. And obviously, Quay Davis is a pretty explosive receiver. Had a chance to see him the last couple off seasons at the big Las Vegas seven on seven tournament. He was on our all tournament team both years. Dynamic kid, explosive leaper, makes jump ball catches look easy, quick, athletic kid. And then Campbell is an athletic running back who, again, it's a little bit of a down year for running backs out West. So I always say this, if you're going to go out of state, make sure the guy you get is better than what you have locally. Don't go out of state just to go out of state. And I think both those two guys are potential difference makers. And Brendan Campbell, he's been a huge recruiter as well. You see him really active on social media and Twitter. And I think he's been, in terms of player recruiting other players, he's been as big a factor as anybody. So both those two guys have a lot of potential. And the last out-of-state recruit right now is a defensive end, Colin Mobley, out of DeMatha Catholic in Maryland. And I think a lot of people are familiar with the name DeMatha Catholic, maybe on the basketball side more. But now with (laughs) Chase Young, the former Ohio State D-end, coming into the NFL and maybe being the best player coming into the NFL out of this year's draft class, I think DeMatha now may be building up a name in football as well. No doubt. It's a great name. Like you said, great basketball heritage, but really good football program too. Easily one of the top programs. I had a chance to go watch them last year. They came out and they played St. John Bosco. And so yeah, Mobley's an intriguing kid. 6'4", 260. He's a inside outside guy. He can kind of move around a little bit. And again, I think you look at him and people are saying, oh man, he was a mid-level, high-level three-star. Why do we care? Well, if he was out West in California, he probably would have been one of the top three or four defensive ends out here. It just happens to be back in the East Coast, there's a lot of talent at that position. So it may not be rated as high, but really solid pickup. It's always tough to find big physical defensive linemen out West. For whatever reason, we just don't produce as many as we used to. So going out of state and getting a guy like Mobley, that's definitely huge. And you brought up St. John Bosco. One of the recruits is Ma'a Naote Ote, younger brother of current Trojan Palaie Naote Ote, and he is a Bosco guy. So SC's been doing pretty well getting some Bosco guys. They got a couple of preferred walk-ons to fill out this 2020 class as well out of St. John Bosco. Is that a new nice pipeline for USC? Yeah, man, I don't know if I would say new, but it's definitely a good pipeline. I mean, look at the roster. I think there's probably like seven or eight kids about. So yeah, every year they're cranking them out. And Bosco is a absolute powerhouse right now. It's won a national championship last year. And them and modern day are probably the two best high school programs, at least the last couple of years they were. Bosco is loaded at every position just about. And so if you can go in and develop a pipeline into a school, yeah, right now Bosco is definitely a great place to start. So you look at Chris Dill, Jude Wolf, Kobe Pepe, these are all dudes. These are all really good football players. So Natiote, I think if I'm being honest, didn't have as great a junior season, I think, as we all thought he might and dropped a little bit in our rankings. He still has some upside. His older brother, Pallier, was the number one, number two linebacker in the country. Ma'a's not quite at that level yet. Hopefully he can get there, and hopefully he'll have a really good senior season. So still has some promise and a chance to really develop. 
And who do you think is maybe the most under-the-radar guy out of the commitments so far that you think could really explode for USC? Of the commitments, that's a good question. A guy that I really like a lot, I don't know if he's under the radar, but Zamarion Gordon is a player who we have as a four-star. No one else does in terms of other networks, but young kid, young for his grade, kind of relatively new to football. So he's still a little bit raw, but really high projection with him. You know, he's a physical safety with a frame that I could see him actually growing into maybe like an outside linebacker, even like a rover backer, a guy who kind of played that little hybrid, big safety slash linebacker role. But Love his makeup. He's a tough physical kid. He loves to work. I think he's got a lot of promise for sure. So a guy you're not really hearing a ton about is Marion Gordon. I think he's got a chance to be really good. And now let's go to see who else is USC targeting to fill out the rest of the 2021 class. Obviously, the number one ranked recruit out there is defensive end Corey Foreman out of Corona Centennial. And now I think a lot of people think that USC is definitely in the mix for him. But who else are they looking at in addition to him? Yeah, so, I mean, obviously, Corey, they got a real chance, for sure. He's a national kid, so schools like LSU and Georgia and Alabama are all over him, but there's a lot of factors that definitely are helping USC. It's the hometown school. He's very close with several Centennial players. That's also been a great pipeline for USC. There's four or five Centennial players. Drake Jackson is one of his best friends. So quarterback-wise, they have Jake Garcia. They're also recruiting Miller Moss really heavily. We have Moss as a top five, top six quarterback nationally, so... I think Moss is probably about a week away from making a decision. And I think right now USC has a good shot. So that would be huge. They're trying to flip Rajon Davis, kid from modern day who's committed to LSU, but they're really on him hard and working him over. A wide receiver I think they'd lead for is Michael Jackson. He's out of Desert Pines in Nevada. I think he could be pretty close to potentially pulling the trigger. So, and obviously still with linemen, they're still trying to recruit offensive and defensive linemen. Kid named Josh Simmons, who was an early Oregon commit. Now I think he's probably a USC lean. He can play on either side of the ball. He can either play offensive guard or deep tackle. He kind of prefers defense, but I think he can play on either side of the ball. Ethan Calvert, probably the top linebacker out West, is probably USC, UCLA. Those are probably his top two schools. And depending on what day it is, I think USC's got a great chance with him. So have a chance to really finish and close well on a lot of kids. Are there any positions you feel are most important for the Trojans to get? I mean, it's always linemen for me. That's been a kind of a weakness out West is just, again, we're not really producing a lot of high level interior D tackles, nose guard types, or not seeing us produce the same amount of quality offense and line talent as other parts of the country. So I think if you can load up on those two positions, that's great. They signed, I think, five or six O-linemen last year, looking like they're going to be able to sign maybe four or five more O-linemen, some quality beef on the D-line. So I think if they can do that, which they're on the verge of doing, that's going to be huge. And as we said, it's been a big turnaround for USC going from being ranked 54th in the nation for the 2020 class to now currently having a fifth ranked class going into the 2021 recruitment season. And do you feel that this is going to last for USC through to the early signing period that they can keep this top five, top 10 ranking? You got to win games, right? When it comes to recruiting, it's great to have all this early momentum, but you got to go out and win. And I think if USC goes out and wins nine, 10 games, I definitely think not only can it continue, but they'll get some of those guys I mentioned. They'll get a Corey Foreman, potentially flip a few guys. If they go out and maybe stumble a little bit at different times and win seven, eight games, then all of a sudden now all those hot seat rumors about Clay Helton start up again. You might see a couple of kids kind of get cold feet about jumping in. So I love the early momentum, but I think to continue it, they need to go win a lot of games on the football field and look good doing it. And if they do, then I definitely think they can continue it. 
you've brought it up already that this new coaching staff that has been brought in has definitely been hunting for guys. They've been pushing it on the recruiting trail. And a guy, obviously, that a lot of people talked about when he was hired, Dante Williams, not just the fact that he's been a great recruiter, but taking him away from Oregon, where he was stealing a lot of the SoCal kids for the University of Oregon. How big has his impact been for this staff? It can't be understated enough. The guy is a a workaholic. I've literally known him for a long time, and he is a workaholic who loves to recruit. He loves to chase. He doesn't sleep. He's always up. He's always contacting kids. He has just an amazing way of being able to connect, not just with the player themselves, but with the families, the parents, the high school coaches. And I think the cool thing is that him being at Oregon, he already had a lot of great relationships with a lot of these West Coast kids. So you're not just bringing in a great recruiter, you're bringing in a guy who already has some great ties. But I think what he has also done, like I mentioned earlier, was he and some other coaches have elevated the rest of the staff. And so on his own right, he's been great, but he's able to make everyone else that much better because they're trying to kind of match that energy level that Dante brings. So he's been huge for sure. And now some other news that came in the hiring of two quality control coaches by USC on the offensive side, Chris Claiborne on the defensive side, Hayes Pollard, two former USC linebackers, two former USC greats coming back into the fold. Chris Claiborne, of course, had been a head football coach at Calabasas High School. How do you think this is going to help USC? I mean, it'll be huge for sure. I haven't really had as much contact with Hayes, but know Chris extremely well. Talked to him this morning. He's super excited. I mean, this has been a done deal for a while, but it just couldn't be released. But he's ready to go, man. He's been wanting to go coach at the college level for a long time. He's going to be a great recruiter. He's an extremely smart, smart football mind, high IQ, understands the game. This is the first step for Chris. I mean, he's going to be, I think, He'll be hired somewhere else next year, if not at SC. I mean, he's going to be having people offering him full-time position coaches by next year. He's going to be an offensive quality assistant. People are going, you know, why offensive? Well, what he told me was basically he's going to be helping the offense prepare for a defense, which is, that's what his specialty is, right? He knows defense better than anybody. So that's kind of why he's on the opposite side of the ball is he's going to be able to kind of see what defenses are doing to disguise and maybe trick an offense. And so he'll be able to really help out the offense that well, but he'll also be obviously recruiting and he should do a great job. So really happy for Chris. And uh, I think he's gonna do a great job for sure. And I think it's something that a lot of Trojan fans will get behind Two Trojan alums, great players from the program coming back in and finding a way to help out their alma mater. So I'm going to ask you here finally, Greg, to put on your Swami hat, your crystal ball prediction. Where do you foresee USC's 2021 class ranking ending up? <laughs> like I said, it's impossible for me to guess on that just because so much is based on how are they going to do on the field. So if you can tell me how many games they're going to win, I'll make that prediction for you. If they're going to win 10 games and go 10-2, and two, that's not bad at all, right? That's a great season. Then I'll say, you know what? They could definitely finish with a top five class. If they do have some hiccups and struggle a little bit, then you might see some struggles on the recruiting trail. Although I think they're built a lot better than they were in years past. I think the staff right now is as good as they've had in a long time. So I definitely think they're on the verge of at least a top 10 class. I think they should be able to solidify that if they land some of the players that they lead for. Again, I think that'll be a nice rebound for sure. 
All right, I'll let you get away with that because I think you're right. It's all <laughs> based on the games. Everything is about the games. We can talk about recruiting all we want, but when it comes down to it, right, Greg, you got to play the games. You got to win. Yeah, absolutely. Kids want to go play for teams that are winning. So I, I think if you win games, they'll come. So hopefully they can. And we'll be talking later on next year and say, hey, what a great season that was. And coming off a top five class, I think that's, that's very doable. Greg, great talking to you today. I'm looking forward to having you back once we get into that December early signing period and we can talk again once the class is actually shaped up and we see who USC has signed for 2021. Sounds good. Anytime. I appreciate it. And of course, if you enjoyed listening to our show, you can subscribe and rate the podcast wherever you find your favorite podcasts, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, or TuneIn. The website you can get us at is Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media at Believe Podcast. For me, I'm on Twitter at Nara Wang Sports. Find and follow me there. Send me your questions and comments about the show and about USC sports in general at Nara Wang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Greg, once again, where can people reach out to you on social media? At Greg Biggins. All right, so for my guest, Greg Biggins, I'm Nara Wang. Thanks for joining us for episode two of the Everything USC podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network, the only place with a show for every team in LA and more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? And as I always end every show, please remember to fight on. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.